The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're coming to you live from many places around the country today, in fact. Uh, thrilled to be here with you. We're going to be live for the next hour talking about autism from a 360-degree perspective, and we're, we're grateful to have this time with you. If you're watching us live right now, you might be watching us. Our, our big four that we're live on right now are YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Periscope. And if you're on any of the big four watching us live, you can be interacting with us live. You can write a comment in the comment section right directly on those platforms, and it shows up here on my screen. Uh, of course, I don't have that up, but I will momentarily. Uh, and we're excited to be able to interact with you because that's our favorite thing. Can I just be honest about that? Like, well, we love so many things about this, but the most fun part of this journey and being with you is that we get to interact with you live. So please feel free to write in on any of those platforms. But we are also live on a bunch more platforms. And I know Traven flashes things on the screen Last week, we were welcoming those of you who are from Vaughn Live and many other platforms. So we, we welcome you. Now, if you want to watch the show in the recorded version as a podcast, you absolutely can. We are available every place that you could possibly find your podcasts. And we are free in those locations. And that's something that I'm really uh, very proud of, that we're a free download if you go to the place, now I've said that, that you could you can find us um, in any of the places where you find podcasts. If you go to the place where you find podcasts and you go, Shannon, you're a liar. <laughs> you're not there. Would you do me a favor and let us know? Because we'd like to be there. We want to be able to be available in all the places that you find your podcasts. Uh, where you can get a podcast uh, download for free. Because we think that that's important. So thrilled to be here with you on this Monday. For many of us here in the United States, this is a holiday. Uh, not, not for everybody, but for a lot of people, this is a holiday. This Monday and next Monday. But we are here and we have a great guest for you, Bonnie Yates. Special Education Attorney Bonnie Yates is going to be with us a little bit later on in the show answering some questions that you guys have for her. Uh, I don't know why it's not letting me log into the chat. Uh, we'll figure that out. But uh, Again, I, I still can get it on this computer, so that's okay. It's reloading. I don't know what's happening. All right. Um, but I, I always like to remind you at the start of the show that our whole mission here is to provide information and inspiration. That's what we're here for. That's we're entering our, uh, this will be 10 years this year that we've been doing this show. So we've got quite a library that's available for you that you can find either on our website, autism hyphen live.com, which is also a great place to pose questions. There is a chat button at the bottom. It is not a reactive chat. So 
No one will answer you back on that site, but whenever possible, we refer to the chat here. Certainly, we start our questions on Wednesday with Dr. Grampichet from questions taken from there. Um, but also on our website, you can search any topic, any, um, we have playlists. If you like a certain, you know, we do recipes here and that might be your thing, but you might also be like, I'm not interested in recipes. I want to know about how to deal with this behavior. So we have playlists that are curated for interest that you might have, but you can also search topics and search by guests because we have a whole, uh, many videos with particular guests like our special education attorney, Bonnie Yates, or with Dr. Temple Grandin, or with Dr. Doreen Grampichet for Ask Dr. Doreen. So I encourage you to utilize our website and our YouTube page like a library and find what you're looking for. Uh, my dog is gonna do that. She did this to me on Friday, during Friday's show where she's just gonna scratch at the door the whole time. For those of you who watch the show, you know I'm in a different part of the house right now. Uh, we're quarantining my husband because he um, had uh, some medical tests and um, had to be up at the hospital. So he's in his last two days of quarantine. So I have to be in a different part of the house. And the dog is like, great, you're here. We can play. <laughs> she just doesn't understand. I'm doing a show. Um, we'll have to have her make a guest appearance later. Uh, but in any case, we're just trying to keep it real here, right? Uh, we're here though to inspire and to provide information. If you don't find what you're looking for here, please tell us, say, I really need you to do a show about X, Y, or Z. I will hunt down an expert because that's the other thing we do here is we provide you access to experts. And I'm really proud of that too. But I always like to remind you, please don't confuse me with one of the experts. Yes, I've been in this community for a while and I have been covering autism in this sort of a format for well over a decade. So I love to connect you to answers and I have an informed opinion having been here this long, but I'm not an expert. Please don't confuse me with the expert. If we can have that deal, we will be just a-okay. Uh, I also uh, wanna say to you that this community that we serve, when I talk about our community, I'm talking about the bigger autism community that starts with individuals who are on the autism spectrum. They are the beating heart of our community. They're our reason why, right? But on our show, we include in our community everyone who loves those individuals, whether you're a parent, a teacher, a grandparent, a brother, sister, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. If you love someone who's on the autism spectrum and you're seeking answers and support and you want to know what's available to you, this is a great place to start because we love to look for you. I'm the mom of an individual who was diagnosed with autism at two and a half, and I, we would not have gotten where we are, which is a great place, if it hadn't been for a community who lifted us up and said, hey, have you tried this? Do you know about this? Let me connect you. Here's a phone number. Call them. I think you would be interested in hearing what they have to say. So that's what we're trying to do here is to create a safe space where you can get information and get hooked up to the services that are right for you, which is very individual. This is not a one-size-fits-all community, so we can't have just one answer. But we also need that support, that love from other people in the community to know that we're okay, that 
we're going to be okay and that there's good things to be found and had in this community. So having said all of that, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's time for something that we refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are those experts talking about? Why do I have to learn this term? Why does it have to be this way? Well, the truth of the matter is that jargon, whether you're in the the autism community or you're a waitress, jargon is the thing that speeds things up. And when we know what the jargon means, like another language, right? But when we know what it means, it has the potential to help us. When we don't know what it means, it has the it has an effect of it isolates us because we feel like, oh no, I don't know. And I should know this, right? You don't need to beat yourself up. And you, and the other thing is you get very overwhelmed by the jargon. We look at the jargon. It's, it's that phrase of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So we just take one word, one phrase, one acronym. We give you, first of all, the actual definition. Then whenever possible, I make fun of the language in the actual definition because it's written for I don't know who, but certainly not anybody I know. And then we give you a working definition and try to put it in context for you to give you a starting place. But if you don't get it the first time, don't worry. You will eventually. At some point, it'll all make sense and you'll go, that's what that thing is. So good morning, Ari. Uh, Ari says, I just started a GoFundMe for my son. We're trying to get a service dog for him. Can you please help us to share the page? I want you to know, Ari, that you feel free to... Um, post it on our social media and um, we won't ask you to take it down. That's a perfectly acceptable thing to post to our page. We have a rule here that um, we don't uh, necessarily post those things because there's so many, we would spend all of our lives doing that and monitoring them. Um, but feel free, you, you have our best wishes to post it on our page and I'm talking about it right now. So people, uh, people should, um, you know, take a look at what you're doing because uh, a service dog is a great thing and nobody does it without help from the community. Uh, take a look on our playlist at all the shows that we've done about how parents fundraise for service dogs, grants that are available and so on and so forth. And whoever your service uh, provider, the service dog provider is, should be helping you to fundraise as well. But anyway, back to the jargon. And good morning, Jacinda. Thrilled that you are here. So uh, our jargon term this morning, I think you can see it on your screens right now, is expressive language. This is a term you hear a lot, especially when your kids are in school. You know, you go to do your IEP and they'll sit there and they'll say, well, their expressive language is here and their receptive language is here. And you go, huh, what, hmm, I don't know what you're talking about. And so let's see if we can shed some light on it. Expressive language. What's our actual definition, Traven? Bum, ba -da bum. It might be sticking today. There it is. There it is. It's coming. Uh, expressive language, the production of language, including speech, signing, and or gestures for communication. Wonderful. But, you know, and that I love that because it reminds us that it is not all vocal. Uh, in fact, B.F. Skinner said that a significant uh, portion of our communication is not uh, vocal. That, in fact, it's the smaller percentage. I've got FedEx trucks and things. My dog is going to make me crazy. Behavior modification tool. Um, so uh, great. But 
if I, I look at this and I'm not a hundred percent sure what's the difference because they always will say expressive and receptive. And I'm like, which one is which? I can't remember. So let's go on to our working definition and see if we can't make heads or tails of this. So uh, expressive language is the child or the individual's ability to communicate their needs. So I always like to think of it as arrows. So expressive is what goes this way. It's coming from me going out to the world. It's what I want to communicate because I'm expressing myself, right? Receptive, which I think we'll do on Thursday, that's what I'm receiving. So if we're all, you know, little radio stations with antennas, expressive is what I'm putting out. Receptive is what I'm taking in. So um, if you think about that, how able uh, is any individual to, because we all want to be able to express our needs and our wants and our concerns, um, whether it be in an emergency or just to be able to share who we are with other people. Always reminding you that it's not all vocal. It, sometimes it's an expression. Sometimes somebody, even people who have verbal communication will gesture or sign, you know, somebody will say, mm, I'm, I'm a former teacher and the eyebrows and the, you know, I would give people a look like this while they were taking a test and they would know exactly what I was saying to them, right? It's communication. So, but we find that individuals on the autism spectrum, I mean, it's part of the diagnosis that sometimes they're some aspect of communication is hampered. It isn't always just that vocal verbal aspect. Um, we have people who are very high functioning that are on the autism spectrum that can talk a blue streak, but aren't, they have a flat affect that they, they aren't someone. Um, I always refer to Ben Stein. Ben Stein is an actor made a career out of this that, you know, his face is very stoic and he's the guy on Ferris Bueller's day off that says Bueller, Bueller, and there's no expression in his face. There's no, uh, prosody is what we call it. You know, that, that the voice is modulating, you know, and so it's not the end of the world, but sometimes it makes it hard to communicate. I remember years ago having a student and I'd done a workshop with this group of people that had asked me to come in to help them. They were having difficulty with something. And I came in and I did the workshop. And at the end, this young woman, who's hilarious, by the way, uh, a brilliant comedian. And she was like, that was wonderful. I just loved that. And I said to her, I, I can't tell. Are you, did you really love it? Or are you being sarcastic? Like, I just couldn't tell. And I'm someone who's pushy enough that I, and you know, socially awkward enough that I said, do you mean that? Or, but a lot of times people just go, I don't know whether she meant that or not. Right. Imagine if that's all you were capable of doing and didn't understand that people weren't, didn't know whether to take you seriously or not. It leaves room for miscommunication. Right. So I just I wanted to point out that I think we tend to think that expressive language is all about, can you say, I want juice? And it's so much more than that. It's understanding that if I need to, uh, for instance, I'm standing there with someone and they're getting too close to me, like how can I express to them that I need for them to step back? Or if the conversation has gone on too long, how, what do I do with my body to signal to that person, you know, I need to leave, right? Um, 
And the expressive side of it is being able to do that yourself. The receptive side of it is being able to recognize that when other people are doing it. So it's a lot more complex. There's a lot more finesse to it. And uh, because I know people go, will say, well, you know, I understand why you're teaching expressive language and care about expressive language with a four-year-old, but I have a 19-year-old. So we're not really, and I have a fully verbal 19 year old. We're not worried about this, except that there's much more to it. And a lot of the times what we see in social situations is that uh, some little aspect is being dropped, whether it's on the expressive side or the receptive side. And when we can shore these things up and teach mad skills, then people are more successful and they are happier. And that's a good thing. Uh, so expressive language, super important. And I always say as a mom and as a teacher, it's important to know when they give you those scores and the IP and they go, well, your child's expressive language is here and their receptive language is here. I know you tend to go, "Mm, whatever, and you tune out. But I think it's really important that we listen to those scores, not that they're going to be 100% accurate 100% of the time, but it gives you a clue into if I want to express something to my child, some kids, their receptive is higher than their expressive, and we would teach them in a different way because we teach to strengths and we shore up weaknesses, right? That's how we teach effectively. But if your child's expressive is off the chart, and the receptive is not up to where that is, then you would teach in an entirely different way. Um, and, and that's when things get exciting, um, is when, you're, when you see as a teacher, when you understand, okay, this person can hear me, but they can't express to me what they're saying, then I'm gonna take a little bit more time with them on making sure that they have an opportunity that suits them to express back. Uh, right? But for somebody who's highly expressive and has no receptive, I'm going to find lots of interesting ways to make sure that important information gets through to them that I would probably, you know, say it vocally, but have it in text um, and gesture to it and highlight it so that they get important information Uh, and many other little tips and tricks. But expressive language, we're all involved in that. We're all demonstrating that minute by minute, but all of us are different at it. (laughs) Trivia question with Shannon, what do you think is stronger, expressive or receptive? I'm like off the chart expressive and I need to work on my receptive. Uh, Right. Whereas my, my child does very well with expressive now, but his receptive is much stronger than uh, his expressive. So we make quite the little team. In any case, I'm working on my receptive. He's always working on his expressive, but his his expressive is much stronger than my receptive. Anyway, moving on, we always have a question of the day for you. And we love it when you guys write in uh, your answer to the, the question of the day on whatever platform you're on. What is your favorite swear word? And we only want to know the first letter. Like what's the swear word? And it can be that you cycle through them but what's the swear word that makes you the happiest? Um, because, and you know, you're probably like, Shannon, why are you asking us this? Because that's a form of expression. And, you know, there's all these things now, these articles on Facebook that people will share that say that people who swear uh, tend to 
test higher cognitively on IQ tests. I don't know if that's true. But I will tell you that part of the reason why we like swear words is because of the percussive sounds in them. Think about it. Think about the, you know, they're, they're expletives. So, you know, we say that mm, and there's like, it's almost like hitting something, but hitting it with our tongue and our teeth, right? Um, so I cycle through different words um, that I like to say, uh, and I'm, I'm an excellent uh, swearer. But you know what we always like to say here, uh, and our friend Matt Asner always says, our favorite four-letter word is hope. Um, that's for sure. But, and it has that percussive P in it. Um, but I also like to engage. I know there are people who are like, that's so inappropriate. Um, well, you know, there's a lot of things I don't do anymore. Uh, you know, and, and as a parent of an individual on the autism spectrum, there were a lot of things that I was like, well, you know, that has to go by the wayside, not doing that anymore, not going to this thing, not going to that thing. So there was a period of time where swearing was the only vice I had that and chewing gum. Do you know what I'm saying? So uh, you do whatever you have to do to get you through. Um, unfortunately, oh yes, uh, we have people who are writing in Fs. Yes, that's a good one. Uh, that's a good one. So what else? Who else has something in their swear jar? First letter only. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I take, I, when, when I'm in a swear fest, I thoroughly enjoy myself uh, because it is one of the last vices I have. My apologies to people who are offended by that. But move it. We will like to see more of uh, what you guys like to say. Uh, oh, uh, yes. Efferini. <laughs> yes, that's a good one. Uh, okay, so moving on to our next, uh, our topic of the day. Uh, this is well, a topic of the week, really, what we're going to be talking about uh, throughout this week. And this is so important right now. Uh, steam valves. Everybody has to have a way to let off steam. You do. I do. Every person that is on the spectrum needs a steam valve. Every person who's not on the spectrum needs a steam valve. Two-year-olds need a steam valve. 102-year-olds need a steam valve. And if you like haven't experienced this in COVID, I would say to you, it's probably going to happen this week where you're like you, you need a steam valve and it's the one that you normally have in place isn't available. I will, you know, testify that shopping is a steam valve for me going and taking an afternoon and, and going not to a mall, a mall is too much sensory for me, but, you know, going to some discount shop and spending, I'm not kidding you, three hours and picking up and, and, and looking at everything in the store I don't have to even buy anything. Often I don't buy something, but being able to go in the store and be with my thoughts and be alone is a steam valve for me. Now, please feel free to judge me, um, you know, but, but that's what works for me. Well, I don't have that in my playlist during COVID. I haven't been in a store in almost a year, not one, not one store. So I had to find, find other steam valves. And, you know, I'm still finding things that work for me and maybe it works for me on this day, but it doesn't on that day. But if, but if I'm going through that, and I think you could acknowledge, I can, I can hear all of you shaking your heads going, yes, right. Then we have to go, okay, what about our kiddos? What was their steam valve before we were in this, you know, great isolation? 
Um, and what is it now? And do we have enough steam valves for them? And what could we add to the repertoire? What can we help to teach them? What can we provide to them so that they have more ability to let the steam out? Um, because if we don't plan for it, it's gonna come, right? Um, so everybody needs a steam valve. Um, and sometimes swearing is a steam valve. Now, depending on what the rules are in your house and, and how old your child is, it may not, you, you know, might say it is inappropriate for my child to swear. I feel you. Um, when my child got to be, well, I would say we're a little bit different. We started very early on with rules that there were certain things that he could say to express himself, but he could only say them, say them at home because we were working on building rules that made sense for the home and you could only do them at home. You couldn't do them at school. Um, and it was part of how we were making that work. Again, please feel free to judge me. You know what I always say, other people's opinions of my parenting is none of my business because it's not, but this is what worked for us. I'm not suggesting that you do that, but I'm saying know what your policy is and know what it is at each age and each stage of development. We found that at 14, um, when my son was in high school and he would have game fests with his friends and I would listen in and I would be horrified that these young men were swearing their faces off. And I would just go, this is terrible. Like, what have we done wrong? We're bad parents. And I was talking to one of the other parents in the group and I said, we, you know, we got to crack down on this. This is not. And she said, you know what? They're, they're young men and they have to try these things on. And as long as it's not, you know, swearing that's anti anybody, um, why don't we just see where it goes? Let them burn it out and see where it goes. And I'm so grateful for that parent because I took another view of it, right? That was what was right for us. I think there was at least one parent in the group who was like, I don't want my son playing games with kids that are swearing and pulled their kid out of the group for a period of time. Um, you know, I, I think everybody has to make those decisions for themselves, but it became important to us. We wanted him to have a steam valve. And I saw that he would come downstairs after one of these sessions with his friends and he would be like, oh, I had such a good time. And he kind of got some of his yayas out. I have another friend that gave her son bongo drums and said, you know, I want you to go into the, the, the sit in the closet. You can cry, you can laugh, you can scream, you can be as loud as you want and, you know, beat those drums um, like you mean it and get it, get it all up and out. And that was his steam valve. What's yours and what steam valve have you given your child? Uh, and when your child becomes a teen, is it time to change the steam valve? It might be, but everybody needs a steam valve. Every, you know, I have a very dear friend that early into COVID said to her daughter on the spectrum, what do you need? And she said, mom, I need to scream. And they live in a place where it wasn't appropriate. And so she took her like up into the mountains and they got out of the car and she said, go for it, baby scream. And, and the young woman screamed and she said, I feel so much better. You know um, you gotta be safe about how you do these things. Cause if you're screaming in an apartment building, the police are going to come. Right. And we don't need to be doing that, but what's your steam valve? What is your child? Uh, oh, mine is eight. And in anger, he swears so bad. And there's the crying symbol. 
and I, you know, I feel you, you know, that might be, that might be scary, but what, like, you know, I'm all of the opinion, if swearing is the worst thing they do, right, that may not be your opinion, but um, if swearing helps him when he's mad, like, can you make a place in the house that's like, you know, you, you have to be standing in the bathtub, and when you're in the bathtub, you can swear as much as you want, get it all out, but there's no swearing at the dining room table. And there's no swearing in the bedroom, but when you're in the bathtub, swear um, and, and get it all out. I don't know if that works for you and your family, but I just know that what we're going through is unlike anything else we've ever gone through. And we need new ways of coping and we all need a steam valve. I don't know what the steam valve is, but if it helps you to cope and it's not actively hurting anyone, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, but it's got to fit with you and your lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, but thank you for sharing that. Um, and imagine how frustrating it would be right now to be eight and all the things that you want to do at eight on the spectrum or not on the spectrum and how like horrible it must feel right now that you can't go where you want to go. You can't do what you want to do. And you don't have control over it, right? It's a pretty intense uh, way of feeling. Um, thank you for writing in. And again, like do what's right for you and your family. And if, and if you really are adamant that there should be no swearing, maybe try like the friend with the bongos and see, and he can think the swear word and beat on the bongos. But I think it's really important that we, you know, make the thing that was important for me was we were trying to teach my son, you can do this in, um, when you're at home or in the car, but you can't do it when you're in front of people. And then, then we were teaching, you know, there's things you can't do in the car. You can only do at home. And then there's things you can only do in the bathroom, right? <laughs> and there's things you can only do in your bedroom with the door closed. Um, and so a lot of our kids, not all of our kids are very rule oriented. And we found that that worked really well. Hello, Amanda. We're so happy that you're here with your blue hearts. Okay. The dog is right here and saying hello to me, but I hear it's okay. You know, there is no late. Uh, there's just here, right? Uh, it's, you can join at any point and remember that the show is recorded. So you can, you can always catch up. Uh, always, always, always. So uh, it's time for us to welcome our guest for today. She is uh, joining us right now. Uh, from the other side of the country, the fabulous Bonnie Yates. She is here courtesy of Tolner Law Offices, uh, where she is a special education attorney extraordinaire. And we are so thrilled to have her back. We, we haven't been able to meet with her for a couple of weeks. So Bonnie, welcome back. Good morning. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, I'm supposed to say that I'm an attorney. I'm one of seven attorneys that works at Tolner Law Offices, we're a California-based firm. We kind of cover most aspects of the, of the disabilities, uh, special education, regional center. Uh, we can give you some help on insurance coverage for autism, although we're not specialists in that area, but we have contacts that are specialists. And, um, and if you want a free consultation with one of uh, the lawyers in our office, you can go to our website at Tolner law offices and there's a short form it'll take you five minutes to fill it out or one minute to fill it out and then we can set up a consultation with you 
we are giving general advice on the show. We are not giving advice about your specific legal problem. And we're mostly answering questions under California law because we're in California. But IDEA is a federal program. So we also are giving you answers sometimes that are federal in nature. Um, but what we strongly suggest is if you have a specific problem, and Lord knows people do, especially after the last nine months, you go to an attorney. And if it's not in California and we can't help you, you go to COPA, C-O-P-A-A dot net. And that is a list of what I consider to be reputable attorneys who are committed to helping children with disabilities. And you can find somebody in your own state. Now, I just want to, before we get to the questions, because Shannon has a bunch of meaty questions you send it, sent in, I do want to tell you something that I learned apropos insurance coverage. We have a client, she needed to remove her child from public school. They wouldn't let him be in general ed. She put him in private school, private parochial school. She um, lives in California. She went to another attorney that I know and he helped her prepare for asking her insurance company <clears throat> to let her use her ABA hours at school. Now, this child is young, he's only six, but this attorney has had a lot of luck getting insurance coverage in these situations. And when I asked him why, he said, well, A, if the child is in private school, there's not the same expectation as if they were in a public program and the insurance companies may be more likely to allow that. What he did was he did her initial submission. So like he helped her put together the right documents along with her ABA provider to submit to the insurance company. When the insurance company said no, then he did an independent medical review for her, which is where you basically present the case to a doctor hired by the insurance company and he got the hours approved. And so this is a really good stopgap measure for her child um, because it's very cost effective compared to due process. And so that's just something to consider. It's another avenue for you. And I'll just tell everybody, you can look the attorney up if you want to on CalBar. His um, offices are in Newport Beach, but he works all over the place. His name is Randy Curry, C-U-R-R-Y. And he's very reasonable in terms of what he charges for this. So um, I just wanted to mention that because like, I wasn't really... Um, aware that the trigger can be, well, the child is A, in a private school, and private schools don't have an idea menu of services, and B, what Randy apparently does is he uses existing evidence to show that failure to provide the aid is going to, or that behavior therapist, I don't like to use the word aid, is going to result in irreparable um, harm to the child, and he says that if you have worsening behaviors, or worsening social isolation, or you know, if any of the disability aspects are kind of getting ramped up by the being out of school or dealing with distance learning or whatever, he can sell that to the insurance company and um, successfully. So that's Sorry. a great that's a great thing. I mean, that's um, amazing. That's great news. Very yeah. useful. News. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so tell the attorney's name again. Randy, and the last name is Curry, C-U-R-R-Y. And all you do is go to CalBar and they have an attorney list. You can look them up. I don't want to quote what he charges on the on the air because I, you know, I just feel a little funny doing that. But I got to tell you, 
nobody can do a due process for that little. Now, he's very reasonable. Now, here's the thing, though. Like this client, she got the services approved for six months. And so she's probably going to have to revisit the issue in six months. If we got a placement, whether it's via an IEP or a settlement agreement, there would be stay put. There's not stay put in this situation, but it ain't exactly easy to get the district to pay for ABA in a private school. And so if time is of the essence and you got to get your kid back into school, this is an, this is an option to consider. Yeah, and I always say, I don't know that it's true, it's much harder to take something away when you can show that it's working. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, we're, we're in the wild, wild west, and we don't know what's going to happen in six months, but what a great thing to know for now. Yeah. Anyway, he's, he's a reputable attorney. The other thing he does is he sues insurance companies for bad faith failure to pay under the policies. So um, if your ABA provider is jerking you around, I mean, not your ABA provider, sorry. If your insurance company is jerking you around, thus putting your ABA provider in a position where it's hard for them to advocate because they're essentially forced to please two masters, I would definitely give him a call because I think he can I think he can do some kind of incredible stuff very efficiently. I got to say, I mean, what we're seeing a lot of right now, and we kind of knew this was coming because, um, you know, when you have insurance, you go through a reauthorization on a regular basis and they keep making it more about the reauthorization than give services. So it used to be, you know, you got authorized for a year and then it was six months. Now, sometimes it's three months. Mm -hmm. So your provider is having to do constant paperwork to prove why you should still get the, the service. But we're seeing across the board that as we, as we hope we're moving out of COVID, a lot of people didn't, didn't have access to ABA or didn't utilize ABA because of a coronavirus and they were socially distancing. And now that they're coming back to it, insurance companies are reducing the number of hours that they said that they would authorize. And I'm telling parents, get a denial in writing and appeal, appeal, appeal. And, and you, know what I, but you know what I would add to that? If people possibly can, I would strongly recommend that they consult with Randy in California because, yep. because not all appeals are equal and he knows what information to get in front of the insurance company at the initial request stage. And then later at the IMR, um, you know, it's insidious. I'll tell you, Bonnie, because like what I'm seeing with a lot of our families is that let's say that they've requested the, the ABA provider requested 25 hours. The insurance will come back and say, well, we're only approving 22. No reason, right? So then the family has to make a decision. Do I really want to go through the appeal yeah. process for three hours? And I'm saying to them, yes, you should appeal and, and ask for more than the 25 and cite COVID because they're trying to like, they're trying to make it so small of an amount that you'll go, okay, because mm -hmm. but then the next time they'll come back and say, oh, 15. Um, it's yeah. terrible. Can you tell how much I love insurance companies? I do because when they do what they do right, they provide the help and support and, and financial support to be able to get the right therapy. I do love well, insurance. My response, that, my response to that is that you're incredibly polite. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that. Uh, I'm not. The reason insurance companies have money is because you guys pay premiums and they, you know, they're hoping that you're not going to make a claim. That's so, right. They took on this autism thing because they were kind of forced to, and I think they're trying to get control back. 
Yeah. Yeah, they are. And they're trying to, they're really trying to utilize where families are in COVID. And that's, to me, that's dirty pool. But yeah, let's should we launch into some questions here, Bonnie. Yeah. You have questions, I have answers. Okay, great. I love that because I always theoretically. <laughs> so first question is school is saying we can't have ABA on the IEP. Can they really do that? If it's so effective, why can't we stipulate that it's how our child should learn? Well, you know, this was a hotly litigated issue because the IDEA says you can't um cause a district to choose a methodology and uh they've they've hidden behind that but i think if you have someone who can attend your iep who can make the case that aba is the only way your child can learn and you have a discussion about what process is implicated in that learning and why other types of learning don't work they would have to give fair consideration to the idea that you needed ABA to learn um, and sort of try to get away from that methodology argument, which is a real problem in this context. Um, I mean, in general, it's a problem that we have because methodology is everything, right? You know, like if you're trying to learn how to read and you don't have a research-based literacy intervention available in the district, then you're not going to make progress using what the district has instead that's less expensive and maybe older and didn't require as much teacher training. So you will run up against a methodology argument. And I think what you probably want to do is talk about what other things have been tried and weren't successful and why and why this would be. And then if they say no, you make them give you prior written notice and that's the basis of your due process. But I have to did, tell you, this question was asked. Let me, last let me just say, let me just yeah. say, it's going to be a cold day in hell before every child with autism has the ABA program in public school that they should have. Doreen Grandpache, probably somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago, we were talking about this. And she said, Bonnie, it's not as if we don't know what works. Like we know what works, we know what works. And the rest of this is just a game. There's two ways they play it. They either say no to methodology or they say, yeah, you can have our district IBI. And then you get somebody in, you know, a psychologist in to look at that IBI and it bears no resemblance to having a card program. It's just, you know, you can you can take a marker and write IBI on my face. And that doesn't mean it's it's a beneficial program. And that's kind of what they're doing with the IEP. Well, I have to tell you that the way this question came about was somebody asked this during Ask Dr. Doreen last Wednesday. And mm -hmm. Dr. Grant and I and Dr. Grandpache was saying, uh, we were talking about it. I said when I had this happen that you had said to me, listen, there's more than one way to get what you want. You can either, you know, fight it this way, but they're going to say that you, that you can't uh, stipulate as to the methodology, or, you know, if you're hundred percent clear with what you want and card is clear with, with what they want, then you can go in and say, 
we want this, this, and this written into the BIP. You don't call it ABA, but you say what you're asking for. And that was what we eventually did. And she said, Dr. Grampiche said, go back to Bonnie and see if they can, at this point in the game, she said, with all insurance paying for ABA and everybody widely accepting how effective it is, ask her, are, can they still make the methodology argument? So what I'm hearing is they can, but but you can, you really can fight it. Yeah, and you can always amend the behavior support plan. You know, and that, that might be a better way to go, but you would run the risk of people interpreting the behavior support plan in a way different than you wrote it. I mean, yes. it's, it's, you know, it's 2021 and I just had a call from a family in the South Bay and their question was like, what great schools are there for high functioning kids with autism in this area? And I shouldn't be having to go like this and like, think, 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 oh, okay. You know, and there's like very few options. And some of them I don't really consider to be great. Like why, if we have this pervasive disability like if the insurance companies can do it, why can't the districts? Yeah, and they can. I think that's the disappointing thing. Are they in the Bay Area, the North Bay Area, or the Bay no, Area, the they're, South? They're in um, Hermosa Beach. Okay, yeah. And then I'm still scratching my head with that one too. In the North Bay Area, I have a school that I recommend to everybody, but not in uh, Huntington Beach. So there you go. Yeah, um, in California, I've learned since I've been with Colner, has more what David Tolner calls specialty schools. You know, there's a lot more options for kids up there. Yep. And why, you know, why we can't do that down here. Although I do recommend Chime down here, but that's not the Bay yeah, Area. You'll never get in. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, because everybody wants in there. In any case. I mean, we could, uh, talk, about, I mean, we could talk about, you know, sometime we could have a a conversation about like schools that our clients get placed in and just give your audience a, a little flavor for what some of those schools are like. Yeah. Um, they're important. And, you know, now some of our kids with autism are also having to address a specific learning disability yep. and schools that do that are important and few and far between, Absolutely. you know, nobody has explained to my satisfaction yet. And I'm just throwing this out to you, Shannon, maybe, you know, the answer. Nobody has explained to me what this comorbidity is, where so many of the kids with autism are hyperlexic, but they don't understand what they're reading. Like, what's what's causing that? I don't know what's causing it, but you know that CARD has worked really hard over the last 17 years trying to phenotype autism. And and on the good news, there you know, they've been able to phenotype 17 species of autism, and that's one of them. And what they're looking at is what's the most effective way of teaching to that, but cause, mm -hmm. I don't think anybody knows. Yeah. But it's very different type. I want to say, yes, I want to say autism, you also have to have a specific learning disability, please. Yeah, rough. Uh, I also want to say to Johani, who's written in a question, we are going to get to your question before we're done, um, but I, I have to get to a few more of these with Bonnie. Uh, somebody wants to know, should we postpone our IEP until we know whether it will be distance learning? 
I'm in LAUSD and we're hearing that they will require the vaccine in order to attend school in person in the fall. Our child has extenuating health concerns. In addition to ASD, we are not sure whether he will be approved for the vaccine. We could be distance learning for a while. And I just wanna say that since Austin Butner made that comment, um, he's the, the superintendent of LAUSD schools. He made a comment a couple of weeks ago about um, that they would be, if you want your child to attend in person in the fall, that they would be requiring the vaccine. Within 48 hours, he walked that back because as we pointed out here on the show, there is no vaccine that has been approved by the FDA as yet for children. In fact, for anybody under the age of 18. So, you know, he's assuming that that will be in place by then. So he had to walk it back. Um, but Bonnie, should they postpone their IEP and say we no, want to I don't later? Think so. I've struggled a lot with this question and, you know, in the process of trying to get ground under my feet the last nine months, I don't think I can say it enough. I feel, I feel as um, kind of blindsided by a lot of the things that have happened as anybody does, I think. So it occurred to me at a certain point that, no, you don't want to postpone IEPs. What you want to do is you want to get together with them and tell them what you need and what you're getting and why it isn't working and ask them to provide it. And then if they say no, you've got a bad offer on file. So if you need to sue them, there's something happened during those months. It's not like, you know, it's it's useful depending on what your angle is. Like if you're planning, if you're of the opinion that the way you have to get what you need is through litigation with the district, um, you want bad offers that you can beat at due process. So I, I've been telling my clients to please engage with the district and tell them, everything that's happening during distance learning and ask them to come up with a way to improve things because because it's not working so have that start the process and i think we forget a lot of times bonnie that we can you know have an iep meeting and have a plan but if something changes or is different we just call in a new iep meeting exactly Okay. So uh, next question. My son has an ASD diagnosis. He's five and attending kindergarten online this year. We had completed our IEP before COVID and he had speech and OT services. It has been a nightmare. It took forever them to figure out how to do speech online and they never really figured out the OT. Now they are making recommendations for the new IEP and they are removing OT. Their rationale is he did okay without it. Please tell me this is as stupid as I think it is. You can invoke stay put and say that you you don't agree and and you don't see how they could know unless they're going to reevaluate him and compare where he was in terms of his benchmarks at the last recording period to now. I mean, that's just a wholesale, not very clever, not very sexy, taking advantage of the situation, just like you were saying, the insurance companies are saying, well, you know, you did fine. So, so no, I, that's wrong and you should object to it and you should fight it. It's so demoralizing, I think, for all of us to go really, while we're down, you want to do, you want to play games, but I'm still in this place. Yeah. But yeah. I, I will say it's an opportunity for us as parents to stand up, exercise, flex, flex our muscles, right? And exercise the things that we've learned and go, no, not on my watch. You don't have to have a nervous breakdown over it. You don't have to get upset. You just 
you just say, no, we'll be exercising the stay put. And if, and if you want to, as Bonnie said, if you, if you feel that he doesn't need it, where's the evaluation, you know, like, where's put the them, data? yeah, where's the data? And okay, then once, next question. And once they tell you that, Shannon, I should have said this, you ask for an IEE. Okay. That independent educational evaluation that they have to pay for. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we are starting the process of asking for comp ed, compensatory education this summer. Can you outline the steps of how we pursue this? My hope is to get them to pay for a one-to-one -one tutor for the summer my fear is they will offer a summer school in person with masks. My son is in fourth grade. He has missed so much academically this year. And I am concerned that a summer of masks will not come close to getting him caught up. Uh, they don't say whether they're in California or another state, do they? They don't. I mean, you know, here's the thing about compensatory education. The idea, the IDEA, explicitly recognizes it as a remedy for a failure to provide FAPE. And secretly, I think all the school districts know they didn't provide FAPE from at least March 11th until the end of ESY. Um, so you can make a case for comp ed based on that, but unless you're, unless you're gonna be able to sue them and force them to the negotiating table, I don't know that they're gonna give it to you. You might be able to tell them you'll, you'll enter into a settlement agreement with them waive claims for the COVID time period if they give you certain things that you want. But typically the good compensatory education um, results are after a due process filing. And I don't mean to be like one of these people, you know, who's like in la la land um, and assuming that everybody can bring a lawsuit. But the, the truth of the matter is if you have a good case, you really can. If you, if, at least in California, you can go to the OAH website there are free or low cost attorneys and you should at a bare minimum be discussing your case with an attorney. They won't charge you. And even if you're not going to use the attorney, you'll get a lot of really good information in terms of how to present your case to the school district. But we've talked about this before on the show and it continues to be true uh, in really all aspects of litigation in the United States. People are much more successful when they do these things with lawyers. And, you know, I don't like that. I would rather my job become unnecessary, but that's the reality. And I feel like I need to share that with you, especially if there's a vehicle for you getting someone to represent you, you know, free of charge. Why, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. You know, I think people have fears and, and our fears are always that, you know, what if I can't afford it? What if, you know, uh, because then it will feel extra bad, but well, I will say this. OEH list has, has low cost and no cost referrals. Okay. So is that on the copaa.net? No, that's that? California Department of Education. Okay. They have an attorney. If, if you're not in California though, uh, go to copaa.net. No, I don't think, well, to get an attorney, yes. But if you're specifically interested in a free or low cost attorney, um, I would, contact your state department of education and see if they maintain a list. Okay. We did have somebody uh, wrote in and said, what is an IEE and what does it tell you about your child? Is the psychoeducational assessment different from an IEE? No, it isn't. Um, it's what's different is, is this, if the district does an evaluation and you, um, you disagree with it, then, um, if you can show what's wrong with the evaluation, 
you can write the district a letter and ask them to pay for an outside evaluation at district expense. So when we do well in these cases, <clears throat> what we'll get is an agreement to provide not only just the psychoeducational evaluation, but speech, functional behavior, OT, you know, and, and that's a real game changer once there's some evidence out there that's not the district's evidence. So, so again, a, the, the IEE stands for? Independent Educational evalu uh, Evaluation. And that is something that you can ask for, you have a right to, and the district has to pay for it. No, you ask for it and you give your reasons, although you don't have to give any reasons, and the district either has to pay for it or they have to file for due process. They can't do nothing. They don't okay. usually want to file for due process because it creates an additional, it's a it's an additional filing, it's an additional legal project, and they don't have you know, time to take things on. Um, the other thing I want to say is if you ask for an IEE and they say no and they do file against you, all you have to do is withdraw your request and the filing goes away. So it's really not dangerous to ask for it. Um, and in many cases, they will grant it because they think if they give it to you, you're going to shut up and go away. So you, you know, you get ready for your IEP or tri triannual IEP and they, they will assess your child and then you sit down with them and they say all these things about your child and you go, I, I you go, I don't think that they tested well. I don't, I don't agree with their findings, whatever. This is when sometimes parents feel like, well, it's over. They did their evaluation and I've got nothing to fight it because I can't afford to go pay for experts to say something different. It's the ideal, ideal time to ask them for the IEE. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, we, we're going to save the rest of the questions that we had for next week because we're running out of time. But I'm going to um, get to Johanny's question, and you're welcome to stay, Bonnie. It is not specifically a lawyer question, but I love your opinion on it, but you might need to go. What, what, are, what are your thoughts? Um, it's about finding a pediatrician. Well, I'm going to answer it and then go and okay. don't, don't be mad at me. Don't shoot me. Don't we won't like, shoot you. Don't Let like me you. read the question though. They said, how do we find like-minded doctors? Our pediatrician is pretty useless. He doesn't agree GFCF diets are even effective for kids with autism, doesn't agree with our need for EEGs, et cetera. He does think we should treat for ADHD, even though he agrees he doesn't have enough information since he's in class online only the last 12 months. We are located in the suburbs of Philadelphia. So what is your answer to that, Bonnie? Don't get mad at me, guys, and I might not be current, but all those people that were Dan doctors, all they had to do was take a 13-hour course, and then they turn around and they charge families five or $600 an hour, and um, I felt like a lot of them were disreputable and profiting on the situation. I am not anti-science. I am not anti-vaccine, although I recognize that in some cases, there may be a need for a medical exemption. What I saw was not a lot of good. I saw people investing in false hope and getting charged a lot of money. And I saw treatments, experimental treatments come and go over the years. And basically the thing that I saw that helped kids the most was ABA. Now that is not everybody's view and people have had positive experiences with the diet and with a whole lot of other things. Uh, your pediatrician, unless maybe they have their own autistic child, 
is going to be mainstream and they're not going to sit with you and discuss things for two hours. And if you, you know, need that kind of medical support, you're going to be able to get it, but you're going to have to pay a lot of money for it. Um, none of these guys that I've ever seen takes insurance. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, like-minded doctors, I'm not sure that a nutritionist wouldn't be better. You know, I mean, maybe a functional medicine doctor, but I just, I have a hard time with a lot of what I've seen. I've seen, seen people spend a lot of money for stuff that didn't pan out. So that's just my well, point of view. And I'm being absolutely. very honest and I apologize if I've offended anybody. I don't think you've offended anybody. I think you're entitled to your opinion. And, and I think we all appreciate hearing from you. I agree with some of what you said and some of it, I have a different experience. And I think that that's, I think it's important that we um, present everybody's, everybody has a right to whatever. My son uh, had uh, well, a tremendous know. improvement people on GS. have a right to expose other people to COVID. You know, well, I, I think we can all agree I mean, on that. People, people that, right. But I'm just saying everybody doesn't have access to the same information, I guess, is the problem. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Well, we appreciate you. I know you got to run. Um, I'm going to stay. And, and unless you want to stay and hear my opinion on this, uh, <laughs> and you're welcome to do that. I would I, like to know, but I do have to go. So I apologize. Okay. And, and, you know, um, I, I had I had a particular experience um, with with you know Nick, and um, I do recognize that that was only one experience. So, you know, and I me am, too. Likewise, I'm always interested in learning from other people who've done something that I don't know about. Um, well, I just I just haven't had clients have the best experiences with the Dan doctors. Let me just put it like that. Well, and let me say that the Dan doctors don't exist anymore. Right. Some of them migrated over to MAPS, and we'll we'll talk more about that in a second. But I, Bonnie, I appreciate you. You're with Tolner Law Offices. How do people reach you at Tolner? Just go into the website and fill out the form, and then we will set you up with your initial consultation, which we don't charge okay. for. And so if you are, uh, and there's the website, specialeducationcouncil.com. If you are in California, Northern or Southern or Arizona or parts of Nevada, Toner Law Offices uh, services are available to you in those states. Unfortunately, we lost our Nevada attorney. Okay, so, so just Arizona. California and Arizona then. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thank you, madam. We'll see you next week. Thank are you, you with us next week? I am. I appreciate you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, right. Um, so I, I know we've thrown a lot of jargon at you guys today. So the Dan doctors, Dan was something that Bonnie referred to was uh, an organization and what it stood for was defeat autism. Now that was a very controversial name. And many self-advocates said, you know, what are you talking about? It sounds like you want to wage war against us. That wasn't what their intention was. They were trying to figure out Back in, back in the day, they were, you know, using the word cure and looking for cures. I think everybody's aware of the fact that that's not politically correct, that nobody's looking to cure anything that, um, but what they're looking for is support and help and being able to minimize the disabling aspects of autism, yeah? And the health considerations, um, but being respectful of the language we use. So Dan was abolished. And a new group was formed um, that's called MAPS. Uh, 
gosh, and I can't off the top of my head, I can't remember what MAP stands for, but it's medical something uh, pediatrics. Um, and doctors get together. What I like about MAPS is that they have conferences, they get together, they share research and experience so that they're talking to each other. I don't like that, you know, one doctor tries a protocol and it's doing amazing things, but the other doctors don't know about it. But I agree with Bonnie that it's very, um, when you work with MAPS doctors, um, they're very expensive. They don't usually take insurance. It's horrifying how much they charge. And they're not all, they come into MAPS with whatever their specialty was. So uh, for instance, there's a great doctor that I love here in uh, close by Los Angeles that he was a sports medicine doctor, had a child who was diagnosed on the spectrum, went to the MAPS conferences to learn what he could about his child, and then started a side practice with his wife, a very thoughtful practice um, to be able to help kids on the spectrum who are having health issues, right? Uh, but then there are other doctors who come in and they're neurologists. So they're coming at it from an entirely different base than someone who's in sports medicine. And then there are other people come in and they're osteopaths or uh, naturopaths, or you know, they come from all these different disciplines. And so you're not you're gonna have a vastly different experience depending on which MAP doctor you take. And I always say, ask questions find out if they're MAP certified and what their core practice is, was, and you want to ask questions. Things such a high premium that a lot of them are not, not interested in taking questions. And I just don't recommend that you go to somebody who won't take questions. Um, but if you're, you, you know, your core question was, how do we find like-minded doctors? Um, when my son was diagnosed with autism, we were the pediatrician who with an office that had a pediatrician that their child was also on the spectrum and my son was going to an early intervention with his son. And so I had the opportunity to have many conversations with this doctor and we were polar opposite um, that I was looking at the behavioral intervention and he was saying different things that I did not agree with. And, um, and but he was like the big pediatrician where we lived. So I went on the hunt and asked everybody like who is open-minded will like that I can ask questions and I had my list of things that the doctor had to be able to do that I needed to be able to get a hold of somebody in the office 24 7 that they ran a service that was reputable and didn't just say go to the you know go to the ER but they would say go to the ER but I'm calling them and telling them to expect you because we had had an ER visit that went horribly wrong and I'm lucky that my son is alive because we didn't have a doctor who was advocating for us. So that was one of the things on my list. And I wanted someone who was going to not tell me, but listen. And, um, and it took me a while, but I found that, that office. I found that doctor um, and he had a practice and there were other people in the practice that did not necessarily espouse that. So I had to be careful, you know, that I, that there were two doctors that we would say, no, we'll wait longer for an appointment with them. It takes time. Um, and that, the one doctor who ended up being my son's physician until I think six months ago, because, you know, he needs to move to an adult doctor. Um, he would say to me, I, I went in and I said, you know, we're doing the gluten-free casein free. And he said, I have to be honest. I don't really know that much about that. But he said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to learn. And then what he did was he watched how my son 
did. And uh, so I know then he said to other parents who came after me, he said, listen, I don't know that much about the gluten-free casein-free diet, but I've got another mom here and she's willing to take questions. And so I know they got treated to a different experience. I, that's all I wanted from it, but it took a while. And I had to ask a lot of people and I went to doctor's offices and I, you know, would go on one visit and go, this is not the one. And can I also say that when insurance kind of went wonkinator, uh, we had to pay extra to be in network with that doctor. And we did, we didn't move for two years because I wanted to be with that doctor. Because I think having a like-minded or someone who's at least open um, to listen um, is everything, is absolutely everything. But, you know, you can put your child on a GFC diet without a doctor ordering it. Um, you can, you can say to the doctor, I want an, uh, an EEG for my child because I want to rule out subclinical, um, seizures. And if they say no to that, you can appeal that decision and you can go to another doctor. Um, and I would, if you are willing to do an EEG, we should all do an EEG with our children right now to get a baseline, whatever age they are. I, I wasn't willing to do it because I, I just didn't want to go through that. I wish I had, and everyone should get an EEG for their child. And if your doctor is saying that your child with autism, you know, they're probably saying it because they know it's going to be difficult and that it's going to be hard on you, but they should not just out of hand say no, and you can appeal that. But, but I would certainly, um, you know, he's saying that you should treat the ADHD. So I'm, I'm guessing that's medicine, but agrees he doesn't have enough information since he's in class online for the last 12 months. Um, you know, um, I think that some medicine for ADHD is so effective and works for some people. I like to say, have we done everything before the medicine? Like, have you taken pesticides out of the diet? Because we know that there's a correlation between pesticide and ADHD behavior. So I would put your child on a purely orga organic diet um, as much as you can afford to um, for a couple of months and see. And then, and I would also take out all the artificial colors and flavors, and I would take out most of the sugar out of their diet and see, does that move the dial before I would do medication? Um, that's just me. But let me say that the best place where you're going to find the best information from other parents is TACA, T-A-C-A-Now.org, the Autism Community in Action. I, I really encourage you to go. Uh, I think it's like $27 to join. You don't have to join to get information and look at all the things that they have online. But if you join, then you're eligible for a free TACA mentor. And that's a parent who's been through training and is responsive and to your needs and has access to that hive mind of parents who have been there and done that. And I think that whether you decide to go with a MAPS doctor or you decide to find a pediatrician or you do, that is like-minded or you do both, that MAPS doctor is going to help. Uh, the Excuse me. The TACA mentor will help you to negotiate all of that. And they will know things um, and have access to other parents who know things. Um, so the MAPS doctors, again, um, are doctors that have 
who's an organization that certifies, they have conferences and what it's certifying is that they've attended these conferences. And so they're, they're um, learning about autism and about what's current cutting edge treatment um, for autism. You can go to their site, their website, they're called MedMaps. I think it's medmaps.org. Um, I'm not opposed to meds. I just think we should have supporting data before putting them on the meds. I think that's really reasonable. And if you're not getting that from your pediatrician, don't be afraid to go someplace else. You don't necessarily even need to tell the doctor you're going. Try another doctor's office. And if you see that it's working better, then you just quietly leave. Um, it's hard to jump from one thing until you know you have another thing. But um, yeah, clean diet, no colors, etc. We'll go and check out Taco Thanks. We are way past time and Traven is getting the hook. I love you all. We're back tomorrow with uh, Dr. Temple Grandin, recorded Dr. Temple Grandin, not a new show. And, but then we are live with Dr. Grand Pichet on Wednesday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.